Hello and welcome to the Queer Thesperience, passing the mic to LGBT plus entertainers. I am your host, Casper Oliver. My pronouns are he, him. I am a bisexual trans man and I am an actor in many forms, uh, immersion theater, voice acting, film stage, you name it, I'll be there in one way or another. And uh, today I have a very special guest. If you could please introduce yourself, your name, your pronouns. Hey, how are you? I'm Lucas Hassel. He is him, all of the above. Um, I am a gay actor, writer, director living in New York. I've uh, been in the business pretty much all my life. Which is so, so when, when did you get started in the industry? Like kind of what was your first steps into it? Well, so, I mean, in terms of industry per se, I mean, I've done, you know, acting in high school, like everybody else kind of thing, but I went to Trinity College in Dublin for acting. Um, it was a pretty cool uh, uh, place to study acting. There's a big theater tradition in Ireland. My parents had a company there. I was born and raised in Denmark, but my, my parents had a company in, in Ireland. So I, I went over to audition. I got offered a spot and moved to Ireland and Dublin and ended up working there in theater after I graduated. Um, and then actually sort of fell out of love with theater, to be honest, and got a, a gig on a film in the US that ended up winning at Sundance for best short film. And I thought that's my move to a city that I always wanted to get to know better, which was New York. So moved to New York in 96. And then I started sort of on a TV and indie film career from there. That's exciting. So in relation to um, getting into acting versus kind of finding your identity, because mm -hmm. one of the things we're going to be focusing on today is staying true to your identity in a very, you know, straight-led industry, in a very straight-led world, honestly. Sure. So in relation to when you started acting, when did you realize, or have you always known? Were you a late bloomer? Like, when did you kind of become comfortable with your identity with being, with being gay? Well, so there are sort of two levels to it. There's on the personal level, I became aware of that relatively early on. I remember having a crush on my English teacher because of his big hands in like the third grade without really knowing what that attraction was. <laughs> um, but I think I sort of came out to the bigger world in a sense, sort of age 25, so relatively late. Um, but I had the benefit of having moved away from home. So I had like a good, you know, seven, eight years to sort of discover, you know, how serious I was about that, if it was this kind of phase that everybody was talking about, or, you know, uh, so it wasn't really until I actually fell in love with someone that I felt the need to share this with my family. Up until then, I was like, well, this is fine. I'm just dabbling around having some fun. Um, but once I wanted my family to meet someone that I cared about, then it was time to just do it. So it wasn't, the, for me, it was fairly straightforward. Um, like everyone else, you know, you have parents that are sort of shocked initially. And, you know, I came from a very protected environment in Denmark where I hadn't seen gay people growing up. My parents had no gay friends. Nobody was talking about gayness in school or anything like that. So I really had no sort of role models or anyone to sort of guide this off. Um, and I just remember one time, I think after I had come out, whatever, and they had met my, my boyfriend at the time, or whatever. And then a year later, we didn't really talk about it after that. I went to visit my parents at some, at some point and, um, and, uh, I just said, I said to my mother, listen, we, we're, we're a little bit at a crossroads here because either you 
choose never to ask about my personal life or my partner or whatever, whatever, and I will just see you less. You will just become less important in my life because then I'll sort of divert my attention elsewhere, and that's your choice. That's fine. I can, I can handle that. Or you take an active interest, not in terms of, you know, you don't have to ask me if I, you know, did somebody last night or what the details of that were, but, <laughs> but you can ask me about my life uh, and we can talk about it and then we'll have, you know, a much better relationship going forward. And I think it's totally up to you. And I just remember sort of shocking my mom because we weren't really very sort of confrontational about these things. We would sort of be very passive about some, some of these issues. Um, and I just remember it registered in her face and then she went away that day and the next day it was like a whole new world. And then since then, you know, my parents never really looked back. They sort of became very active and very involved and very interested. And, um, and it had many other ramifications uh, as well in terms of their view on religion. I'm an atheist and, and they sort of have moved in that direction completely subsequently when they see how much bias and bigotry there is in that part of the world. And anyway, so that was my personal life. But in the professional world of being sort of a gay actor, uh, was much harder because as you say yourself, you, you came up to LA and you thought, well, there's so many gay people in this industry, it's gonna be fabulous. But, you know, counterintuitively, as an actor, I mean, I know from myself watching somebody on screen, the less I know about that actor, the easier it is for me to buy what they're doing. I don't have to combat all these notions that, oh, this person I know is also a Scientologist and they're also this, but in this film they play, you know, you know, a maiden from the second world, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Right. It's like the less I know about that actor, the easier I can buy what they do. So I do understand this notion that in this industry, it actually sort of can be helpful to not disclose your sexuality at any given moment or your political persuasions, whatever they may be, because it'll just be tougher for people to disengage from your personal life to what you're trying to, to portray. So um, that said, I also think it's incredibly important to be true to yourself. And so for a long time, because um, not that anyone will know from this podcast, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decent looking guy. So often I would be sort of leading man material and leading men traditionally cannot be gay, right? So a lot of the roles I was offered and a lot of the roles I was given would be these straight leading man situations. And so... I was definitely in situations where I got cast and then they discovered I was gay and it was kind of too late for them to back out. But you could definitely tell that it didn't sit well with them. Right. Um, and then of course, and that's at a very, very low level. Then, you know, the more I got into acting and the, and the sort of the more, I, I don't have a big career, but the more, the bigger my career got, um, the stakes also got higher for the productions because they have money at stake, right? The big productions have a lot of money at stake and they have all these algorithms of how much money they can pre-sell and what the budget will be based on your recognition and your, your trademark, your brand, how celebrated it is, how celebrated it is. And I get it. If you have a romantic film and I play the, the male lead and then it transpires on the web that I'm gay, a lot of these potential audiences would be less interested. And so it just drives the numbers down in terms of what they think they can make for this film. And so, so it's, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's unfortunate that, that that's the way it is, but at the end of the day, you just have to make your own choice with regards to being true to who you are and what matters to you. If, 
career matters to you more than being a sane, healthy, personal individual, well, then you can go into the closet like a lot of actors in Hollywood have. And I have just made a different choice that is not worth it for myself to not be true. Yeah, I, uh, you mentioned earlier kind of going into these roles and playing the leading straight man. And uh, I'm actually a troupe director for American Immersion Theater, and we do primarily murder mystery parties. Mm-hmm. And we have parties set in the 20s and the 30s, modern day, 80s rock concert, you know. And I've always joked that I could play an 80s rock star, I could play a 20s gangster, I could play a douchebag billionaire, but I can never play straight. I, I can't. <laughs> the script can tell me that my character is sleeping with another man's wife. And I'm like, okay, so he does like women. It doesn't say anywhere in here, I can't also flirt with men at this show. <laughs> like, that is the only That's thing I, I cannot play. I open my mouth and everyone's like, you're some shade queer. I just that don't is, know where. That is hilarious. That's and hilarious. Yeah. The well, I mean, no, for, for me, I mean, I had the options of, of, of being passable straight so to speak and I you know I have to say as an actor I mean I'm very comfortable playing uh, straight roles not because I feel it diminishes my my own personal gayness but listen I got into acting because I find it interesting to to experience other people's points of views and lives and they don't all have to be similar to me I've played serial killers and god knows what that I'm not in personal life and I find that super interesting so why wouldn't I embrace the straightness of that and I see beauty in women and I can understand why some men would be attracted to certain women. And so I can totally get it. And I think I can emotionally connect with it. So, you know, I I think there's, there's a tendency with right now and it's very controversial. And so you can be on either side of the fence of this, but I, I do find it interesting. You know, there's so many situations where, you have actors being vilified for taking on a transgender role, for instance, and I can totally understand where both sides of this coin is coming from. I mean, I think you have to sort of make a stand at one point and sort of stand up for the rights of minorities and have them recognized. But it's also, I think actors are trained in a specific skill, which is to step into other people's shoes. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they can't grasp the emotional situation of pretty much anyone, um, regardless of who they are, if they do their research and if they're talented actors. So, so it's, you know, so the political correctness of like casting, you know, a gay actor in a gay role, it's all good and well. And I, I, uh, you know, respect where that's coming from, but I also think it sort of diminishes what actors are really about and their craft. Right. It's tough. Yeah, like when I was uh, when I was attending college courses, I uh, performing arts major, kind of on and off taking classes, and I did a devised theater show, and so we wrote the script, we put together the costumes, we put together the sets, all of us college kids, and in one of the scripts, this was before I came out as a trans man, I played three moms, <laughs> in every skit I did, I played someone's mom. And in one of the skits, I was the mother of a trans man who actually um, was played by my good friend, Courtney. And uh, my, the person who played my husband uh, is a good friend of mine as well. And he was the transphobic dad. I was the supportive mom. And we got into this screaming match on, on stage and everything. And Courtney did take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was out as trans non-binary. So I was, st- I was the only trans person in the entire cast. Mm-hmm. And Courtney came to me and was like, I know you're not a trans man. I just wasn't out at the time. But she's like, I know you're not a trans man, 
but I, I want to understand this before I get into this. And she sat and talked with me. We went and got food and just talked about the trans experience. So even in those like five minutes she was playing Nate, she could bring some authenticity to it. So exactly. And I say it's a little different with that because that's a little college production that had a pool of sure. only 15 people. Right. Um, you mentioned earlier, going back a little bit, you mentioned that you've played uh, like serial killers in these kind of villainous roles. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what have been some of your favorite roles to play, if you have any? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, have, I have a lot of... Um, I would say almost as less the roles than it is the productions themselves, because I think part of why I enjoy acting so much is also the sort of camaraderie and the, and the teamwork that you get in any given production. You sort of build your little family for X amount of time and get to know people really well. So there, is, there are productions and films that I feel strongly about um, one way or another, but in terms of an actual role, I mean, there are many different ones. I've, you know, I remember one of my, the first professional role I was ever given after acting school was as Dracula. And it was a, it was a pretty well-known director in, in Ireland who had been at our uh, course to teach us classes throughout the year or whatever. And as soon as I was done, he offered me this role of Dracula and took a chance of sort of, you know, casting a sort of, you know, 22 year old Dracula. But I was tall and lanky and, you know, so I, I and I had jet black hair at the time uh, because of the graduation uh, production we had just done. So I had this long black hair and so I, I think I just really um, felt like a Dracula to him. And that was, I played Dracula since in another production. And there's something really liberating about playing, you know, the sort of a, a villain without, without any limitations, really. And then trying to find the humanity in that as well. Right. So, you know, complexity is the name of the game. And I think I always enjoy playing um, characters that can see life from many different points of view. And uh, even a character like Dracula, you know, yeah, he sucks the blood out of many people and whatever, whatever, but he's also a lonely character and searching for connection. And so there's always something that you can connect to. Um, so di many different productions. I did The Black Room with Natasha Henstrich, a horror film, which was great. We had so much fun on that. And I've worked with her since. And um, Rolf Konevsky, who wrote and directed that piece, is, is an amazing writer and director. And, um, you know, you, you come across... Uh, some indie films that just did slap face actually another horror film with a good friend and collaborator jeremiah kip um and it's about to come out um and it's a super cool sort of monster movie and i got to play the monster which uh, which is really which is really neat uh because you know i'm so often sort of judged on how i i, I look or whatever and being you know transfigured into a monster and sort of having to just rely on you know, what comes out of my mouth and how I say it as opposed to, you know, a beautiful wink and a little smile, you know, it's kind of fun to figure out how a monster would, would, would come across and, and what merits do people uh, judge this monster for. And the monster is actually female. So, um, so it was really interesting to get into that mindset as well. So there's just different productions. There are many different roles. Yeah. That's cool. And also, uh, you mentioned earlier that the, the folks on the podcast will not be able to see uh, your devilish good looks. Um, <laughs> but uh, if I anyone... like a horrible person talking about my good looks. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, to anyone who uh, is on Instagram or Twitter, you will see the promotion post and oh. you will see his face. So uh, if you need motivation... You can judge for yourselves, people. You can judge for yourselves. You'll be like, that guy is full of it. He is hideous. <laughs> and that's all good. 
I don't judge. It's all good. As long as you, you know, just Google him and then you'll understand. It's great. <laughs> but, but yeah, so you've done stage, you've done film, but you've also done uh, a lot of writing as well. Yeah. So what, um, besides acting, like what other projects have you worked on? Well, so, you know, as an actor, I'm sure you find this yourself. I mean, you, it gets a little old at some point to always give away power to everybody else. Because as an actor, you walk into a room, you have done your work and you do your casting and then you walk out, you cross your fingers. I hope I get that role, right? And it's up to somebody else. And right. that, you know, as a, as a grown man that I am now, it's really quite tiring to always, as I said, give away that power. So writing was sort of the first step in taking some of that power back. I knew I could write. And so some 12, 15 years ago, I started taking it seriously and I honed the craft. I wrote some horrible scripts and then they got a little bit better and I shared it with smarter people than myself and they got better again. And I, now I think I'm a very good writer. And it's all about this thing of like, whatever I write, well, that's mine, right? Um, however, I did also learn that even if you write a great, great script and it is yours, you still need other people to then help you produce it. So the real lesson in, in life is that you have to, freedom is to write scripts that you can actually make with your friends and your community around you. Uh, that's power. So, you know, if you write, you know, scripts, try to, if you want to get them made in your own sort of world, then don't set them in outer space or don't set them in 1527 where you're going to need a lot of money to make that happen. So, you know, real, real power is writing scripts that you can make yourself with your, with your community. Um, and that has been my journey as, as a writer and as a filmmaker. Um, uh, so that's been incredibly rewarding to take, to take that power back. And that's what that journey really is, is about. Which is really cool. It's kind of interesting when you, if you start in the business primarily on the acting side, yeah, right. you go in there, you, you show your skills, you show them your chops. And then, as you said, you kind of just walk out and cross your fingers and just hope to hear back you know um but then kind of taking that step in putting the power back in your own hands right like um and that also brings it back to this you know the queer world that, that we're that we're focusing on here because as a writer you know i can write characters that i would like to see yeah uh, gay bisexual trans whatever all kinds of characters that are characters that i don't necessarily see a lot of on right. screen or that I grew up seeing on screen. It was very little of that. And so it gives me the freedom to explore complexities that I think I can see as a queer man that other people in the straight community may not have thought of, because I just know different levels of intricacies of how that works in people. And so I feel, you know, compelled to, to explore that in a, in a lot of my, my writing work. So that's a, that's a great benefit. Yeah, and my fiance and I were, were both queer um, when we both, we've had talks about how she, so she's a writer and I'm mm -hmm. primarily an actor, but I dabble in script writing and fiction writing now and then. Um, mm -hmm. And we've talked about how when you are queer and when you see the world through that lens, you have to analyze yourself and right. the world more because you real there is something in you no matter how young or old you are when you start to realize something's different you eventually realize okay something's different i'm not viewing the world like the world thinks i do right. and so you have to analyze it so you you see things and you think about things that people who aren't within the lgbt plus community 
would really ever think about because we kind of have to face it. Mm -hmm. So you can really put that in your script writing and in your character portrayals. And I, I think that can give a really good boost of empathy in taking on roles that are of a different life experience than your own, kind of tying it back to what you were talking about earlier. Um, because I, 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 I totally agree. And I think I just had this discussion with, with some gay friends of mine the other night over dinner um, this notion that as as sort of members of that community, we have grown up from early on to look at the world from other people's point of view, because we had to sort of figure out ways of fitting in and how would that be perceived. And I think we're very aware of, of that. And I think sometimes it's to our own detriment. And that was actually the reason why this topic came up at the dinner party, because, you know, sometimes I think we as, as queer folks sometimes can be erring on the side of not being assertive enough about things that are not okay. There is right. a situation, for instance, that come up with somebody is insulting or whatever, and then you would walk away and go, wait a second, I, I'm sure that person was insulting because of the childhood and this thing, and maybe they just had a bad day, and blah, 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 blah. And we start sort of overanalyzing from their point of view of why they're jerks. Right. right? And I think sometimes, you know, I have to take a, a page out of my straight brother's book who's much more like black and white in that sense like well that guy is a jerk he should not be saying that right as opposed to me always trying to find reasons well listen they did this and they probably had that going on and i think that is for, for better or for worse i mean obviously it's a good quality because it can be to our own detriment we are very good at putting ourselves in other people's shoes and seeing things from multiple sides and that's uh, both, uh, I guess, the, the good and the bad thing about um, growing up queer. Yeah, it's got its peaks and troughs. It's, you know, it's pros and it's cons. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. And so kind of going back, I, uh, I, after I was put in touch with you, I immediately went and was like, well, I want to go look at this guy's website and see what this guy's been all about. <laughs> sure. And uh, anyone who's heard of you knows that you've been on some really popular like tv shows uh shows sure. like elementary and uh the blacklist i believe i saw on there sure mm -hmm. um this is more out of a personal curiosity thing mostly uh -huh. because uh, -huh. uh being involved in anything sherlock holmes related is a dream of mine i kind of want to ask you what it was like for you personally to work on those like big budget tv shows right well you know it's a, it's a tough situation as, as an actor, the older I've gotten, um, I know more and more about what I find interesting personally and what I don't find interesting, what I want to spend time on and what I do not want to spend time on. And TV is one of those weird situations where A, it's really difficult to get good auditions for TV. Uh, you know, you only get that through good agents and you only get good agents through a lot of work. And so it's a ton of work to even get into a room with the big studios for any role, TV or film. Um, but then once you're there, the problem is that the roles that you can get there are great, um, they're good money, uh, and they're really, really good exposure. However, I never got into this business for the, for the money, because then I would be a fool. Uh, yeah. I, also, I always got into it because it interested me and I felt it's something that I wanted to spend my life doing. It gives me satisfaction. So it was never about the money to start with. 
So that's not a big incentive for TV work. And the other thing that TV work has going on is that although it gives you the exposure that's really, really crucial for independent film work, where I do want to work a lot, um, the more people see you on TV, the easier it is to get jobs in independent film work, where in the independent film world, where the good work is. Um, it's just not that interesting to me, TV acting. It really yeah. is not that interesting because it is so fast. It is all about the clock. Um, and have and I don't judge anybody. It's not a judgment call. It's just that that's the way the business is. It's so expensive to produce. There's so many people on board. And basically, there's no rehearsal most of the time. What you did at the casting is what you do when you come in on set. Um, I don't get that sense of camaraderie, also because I haven't been a series regular, right? So I'm sure if you're a series regular, you can build up a family and you can really enjoy that and love that. But I've come in for one or two episodes as, you know, a guest star or whatever. And, and then I'm, you know, I'm on set for like a week and then I'm out. Um, and it's just not that interesting to me. It's like you sort of, it's the mantra on TV sets is sort of, it's good enough, we're moving on. As opposed yeah. to, oh, we want to make this absolutely right. You know, in the in the indie film world, you might spend a lot of time setting up a shot, you rehearse it first, and you shoot it. Um, and on TV, you just sort of you just sort of holding on for dear life. You just you you don't want to mess up because that's really uh, producers are looking out for that. You don't want to delay the production. You don't want to be that guy coming in, messing up the the big stars. You know, scene because you take too long. You can't remember any lines. You get nervous. You miss your mark. I mean, it's such a technical thing that it's. Um, it's just not that enjoyable to me. And I don't mean to sound ungrateful about it at all, at all, because it does have benefits. As I said, people do recognize you on the film festival circuit where they have no access to big actors. Then all of a sudden you become a big name because I just saw you on Blue Bloods. Oh my God. And, and, and so that's, that's helpful for the, for the indie film work where you do have rehearsals and you do get to sit with the director and you do get to discuss the script and you do get to do stuff that I find interesting. So that has, so TV has definitely helped uh, my career, but um, it's not necessarily something that I'm looking to explore, uh, I mean, much more than I have to. Um, right. Yeah, I kind of, I, I, I like what you mentioned about the different vibe to TV acting is that's actually one of the, the exact reason that I really prefer things like stage or immersion sure. is when you do a stage production, you have oh, what weeks, if not months of rehearsals to get to know the cast, to really perfect it, figure out how you want to bring your character to life. And then you have the rush of the multiple performances of that like instant gratification, you know, of the applause right. or the right. gasps. Right. 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 And I, one thing that I've personally, and I've met a lot of people that are similar, and I'm curious about your opinion. One of the differences between stage and things like film and television things that are recorded is the rush you get from stage is sure you can mess up but you shouldn't because there's no retakes you gotta commit to your mess up on stage or in immersion unlike any other performance you're gonna do because right, you just right. you gotta make it work right 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 I mean no I, I mean absolutely there, there's you know there's a lot to be said for for, for theater and I do remember productions that, that I love from the past. Um, I think, you know, for me, I, the reason I think I fell out of love with theater is that too often 
there are not a lot there are not enough risks taken in theater and i mm -hmm. think that comes from directors mainly I, I i see you know if i see another miss julie production just because it's three actors and it's easy to set up but I, i'm you know yeah, i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna run out screaming because it's just i feel too many times theater productions are set up just because they're setting up a theater production i need to see why this production? Why now? I, I, you know, when you have a really, when you have a really visionary director in theater, right, who comes up with new ways of doing things and cross casting and experimenting with this and this and maybe put some multimedia in, for the for the point of view that he or she has, then I'm then I'm all in. It's just almost like nineteen out of twenty times it's the other, right. And then the one time out of twenty where this director comes up with that production it's incredible yeah and it's better it's better than any movie any experience i would have in a cinema it's just i have to sit through 19 of the others to get that one and it's just exhausting oh yeah so so i just find that theater tends to bore me more because it's just not inspired enough and i i can get vilified for that but i i truly sort of just feel like we need more innovation in theater um uh, and people taking bigger risks in theater. And of course you can argue the same thing for film, but that's just been my experience that as an actor, the productions I've been hired in a lot of the time have not been, they haven't been that interesting. Right. Uh, but the few ones that were, I still think back on with like, that was a real show. That was amazing. Yeah. And it, it's kind of one of those things where, um, and I've noticed this with some community theaters I've been involved in, you have the politics. Like, mm -hmm. I was once on a community theater's board of directors. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and you, you, you see that they put on the same Christmas show every year, every right. single year. Right. And, you know, you get people like of Jewish descent coming on and saying, why don't we do a show about Hanukkah? And they're like, well, that's, we've never done a show about Hanukkah before. We're going to stick right. with a Christmas carol and you're going right. to like it. You know? exactly, exactly. So I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I've always said, you know, I know people, you know, in theater, Shakespeare and so forth. And I, you know, I'm just one of those Philistines that I always feel Shakespeare is a little overrated. I'm not, I just, and it's, it's, you know, I'm not afraid to say it out loud, but I do know a lot of people who hate me for it. It's just, I, you know, I, I used to go to church uh, as a kid and I would listen to the preacher talk in these old terms. I'd be like, why not just speak to me as a real person? Right. And so I feel a little bit similar in that sense. It's like, yeah, I get the challenge and I have done Shakespeare, but I just feel like it's hard for me to connect to it. So why, why are you speaking this way? Yeah. You know, then it's a then it's a museum piece, and that's fine. But I don't need to sit through three hours of that. Right, <laughs> and only understand maybe a quarter of what's being said. Right, and that's my you know, and that's my choice, and maybe that's my loss. But that's sort of you know, uh, and I know a lot of people who absolutely love Shakespeare, and it's their passion. And great, I just I didn't get, I never got it. No, it's yep. like it'll be your passion. I'll be over here. <laughs> I'll, I'll be over here doing indie film work and monster movies, running around with doing. It's getting goo poured over me while I stab somebody in the neck. That, you know, to them might be the most ridiculous thing ever. And they could be right. But to each their own, right? That's what's, yeah. uh, what's so great about this industry. We're all different. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you're a pretty big fan of doing, like, horror. Is that... I don't, I don't, I never want to say is that some of your favorite genre because I, I personally hate being asked what my favorite genre to perform is. 
but um is there like what what draws you to horror specifically well, i mean a I, I actually don't mind the question of what's my favorite genre and okay but, but b um I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say that horror is that at all. I mean, horror is is just interesting because it takes some of the rules out that yeah. normally would come into play. I mean, you can sort of you can take things out a little bit further just because the rules automatically would be different in a horror film. Um, but you know, it's also like I got into horror fairly early on, and then you tend to get cast in a lot of the same stuff, and then you meet, meet people from that you know genre, and then they get to know about you, and so it's a circle as well that so once you get into a certain genre you know you you get a lot of work in that genre and so for me that's just been been the case but um you know i'm attracted to complex characters and essentially to me everything is drama gussied up in horror or gussied up in sci-fi or gussied up in something else so you know i i attack everything i'm involved in like it like it's a drama yeah. And then, you know, people can guide it and skew it whichever way they want. But at the end of the day, I have to connect to the character. I have to understand where they're coming from, what their goals are, what are my obstacles. And then, you know, you can stick me in a, in a creepy mansion. I'm still going to feel the feelings I have as the character I'm in. So I don't, I'm sort of genre blind, really, when it comes to uh, role work. You know, what happens around me is up to the director and the script. But I need to connect to the character I'm playing. I like I like that perspective because uh, you you sometimes get actors who um, only want to do certain genres. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm not one of those people. I'm just intimidated by comedy. <laughs> because... it's, hard. it's really hard. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I I have only been cast in comedy a few times. In personal life, I'm pretty funny, but um, <laughs> in comedy, I'm not. It's a very different skill set. I think when people are expecting you to be funny is yeah. when it's the hardest to be funny. <laughs> um, and, and absolutely. And we've seen, I mean, I go on the festival circuit quite a bit with my own films as a writer filmmaker. And, you know, the comedy blocks are without a doubt the hardest. I mean, it's, maybe it's just me. It's super hard for me to, to, to laugh out loud at anything, right? And most of the films I just cringe at because it the acting tends to be too big. Yeah. Every now and then you see that one actor who just gets it. They underplay it and the timing is spot on. And that's when I lean forward into comedy. But most of the time, I'm sort of going, ooh, actors, we, I love actors, but they push, they push comedy so hard. And it's, it's, you know, it's just sometimes it's hard to watch. It makes it really unfunny. Oh, yeah. Like with, um, with the murder mystery parties that I do, we, we never sell ourselves as comedy. There's jokes mm. in the scripts, but we're not mm -hmm. comedy. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not, we say we're like Clue, but we're not as funny as Clue because very few things are. <laughs> um, but I, a lot of the actors in my troupe, we've noticed that our funniest moments are never the scripted moments. Right. It's right. rebuttaling with the audience. And if you're in a media that doesn't have that, you have to rely on the script and the timing of the exactly. script. Exactly. And, you and are... I think I mean I think that I think there is a big difference between live theater comedy and sort of film comedy. Because as you said, in, in film comedy, you don't have the response of anyone. So if you push, you're pushing to nothing, and then it comes becomes extra large on, on screen. But I think, you know back to when I used to do theater, I mean, the beauty of theater is that it's live. So you do have a sense of, it's a living 
breathing creature that you're involved with. And so right. you have to, particularly with comedy, you can sense, well, everybody's getting it, that laugh. So I can slow this down a little bit and milk it. Right. Whereas if you're trying to do comedy and it's silence, well, they are like, okay, I've got to speed this thing up because yep. it's not happening. So you, can, so you can take your foot on and off the accelerator in, in live theater with, with comedy, which you obviously cannot do in a, in a film. Yeah, it's kind of like watching those sitcoms when they take when they when they don't have the laugh tracks. Yeah, <laughs> without yeah. the laugh tracks, and you just oh oh. But uh-huh. it's like I I don't watch much scripted TV at all, and I certainly don't watch any of the scripted comedy stuff because I just find it so unfunny. And just the other day, I was waiting on something else, and I just I flicked something on NBC or whatever, and there was one of those one of those endless sitcoms of the same thing, and they had the laugh track. And it's been so long since I watched them that I was actually blown away by the laugh track. I'm like, wait, this still exists? <laughs> it's so outdated and it feels so horrible. I was like, if I was an actor on that show, I'd be mortified. I was just like, I honestly have just forgotten because uh, I watched so little of it, what it's like. And you can just see the the laughter being sort of added in and then being put out straight away so that you make room for the rest of the line and then added in, you have the coughs and the laughs and the cup. And I was like, that has to be looked back on in history as like, what were they thinking? Right. It's like, that has to go. That has to go as far as I'm concerned. The laugh track, <laughs> that is nonsense. Yeah, so that, 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 was my, that was my one ranty note of this, of this interview so far. It's like, get rid of laugh tracks. <laughs> this is my soapbox and I will stick on this. <laughs> Queer folks, let's get rid of them. <laughs> Down with laugh tracks. <laughs> but uh, but no, okay, so uh, last thing, and I like to ask all of my guests this, is especially as a gay man, as an mm-hmm. entertainer, if you met, let's say yourself earlier on in your journey or someone who is in this kind of a similar boat as you when you were earlier on in your journey, Mm -hmm. what sort of advice would you give to them getting into the entertainment world? Um, So you have to figure out what matters to you. So I think the biggest thing that I can tell anyone younger, younger, just, you know, emerging in this industry is, spend enough time to figure out who you are or who you think you are at any given time and then act according to that because then you can always then you're going to have no regrets you can't go back and say oh i should have done this because if you do it with the best of your knowledge of who you are at that given time and you make a decision well then that's the best decision you could have made then you know hindsight is 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 easy to 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 get into so the better, the more you know yourself, the better equipped you are of making choices. And then you're gonna make those choices based on what matters at that moment. Does this role within matter to me so much that I'm willing to sort of pretend I'm straight for this audition and not even go there and act a little more manly when I walk in that door? Or is it more important that I'm me and go in and throw in that joke when you walk in that casting room and you know, if they guess that you're gay, great. And if you don't get the role for that, that's their problem, not yours, you're moving on. So figure out what matters to you because then it's easier to sort of um, navigate through life. I mean, the easy advice would be to say, oh, be who you are, own who you are. But I think the real advice is to just figure out what matters to you. And then you can still own who you are outside of the room or not. 
that's totally up to you. So get to know yourself so well. Don't be afraid to look into any corner of yourself and the world. And I think you'll be better off as a person and, uh, and as a performer. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you joining us today uh, on our little podcast. Well, uh, thank you for having me. It's been great. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I love that you're doing the podcast as well. I think it's a really great idea. So, Lucas, where can people find you on social media if they so wish to do so? Well, so I have uh, Twitter, Instagram, there's a Facebook page as well. Uh, it's Lucas Hassel with a K, L-U-K-A-S. And then it's H-A-S-S-E-L, single L. So there's LucasHassel.com, my website. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Facebook profile. So yeah, have a look out there. All right. And if you follow us, uh, The Queer Thespirians, on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, I will be tagging his profile in the post. So you can also kind of find it as a direct link through there. And if you would like to listen to more of The Queer Thespirians, we are uploading new episodes every Friday with different people within the LGBT plus community who are also in the entertainment industry. We are on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, you name it, you can track us down. I'm still trying to shake down Apple Podcasts to finally let me on there, but they are taking their sweet old time. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, all of our social media will be down below. If you're listening to this elsewhere, just feel free to look up either Lucas Hassel or The Queer Thespirians. And remember, all the world is a stage, so give them one hell of a shout. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us, Lucas. And I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.